Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Roman Abramovich announces his intention to sell Chelsea. Uh, there's other stuff too, but let's be honest, it pales into insignificance with the news that the Blues are set for new owners after an extraordinary few days. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight out of Cobham. Listener, how are you doing? Quite the week, huh? Don't worry, we've rolled out all the big names for today's pod. We've got three of the Athletics Chelsea experts to tell us just what's happened in the ever-changing world of the Blues. Liam Toomey's here. Hello, or should it be goodbye? Mm, yeah, quite. Uh, Dominic Fifield's also with us. Hi, Dom. Morning, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And Simon Johnson's in too. Bring back Ken Bates. <laughs> and for the first part of the show, we've got the Athletics' Adam Crafton on board too. Hi, Adam. Hello. All right, let's get straight to it then. Before we talk about the game itself, we have a big breaking story this evening concerning the Chelsea owner, Roman Abramovich, who has officially put the club up for sale. Breaking news to bring you from Chelsea in the last few moments, a statement from Roman Abramovich, and it confirms what we've been telling you today. He says, I would like to address the speculation in the media over the past few days in relation to my ownership of Chelsea FC. As I've stated before, I've always taken decisions with the club's best interests at heart. In the current situation, I've therefore taken the decision to sell the club, as I believe wow. this is in the best interest of the club. I have instructed my team to set up a charitable foundation where all net proceeds from the sale uh, will be donated. He says the sale will not be fast-tracked and the foundation will be for the benefit of all victims of the war in Ukraine. The owner of Chelsea Football Club, the Russian businessman Roman Abramovich, says he's planning to sell the club, which he's owned for the past 19 years. Last week, Parliament was told of a leaked document uh, referring to Mr Abramovich as having links to the Russian state, links which he denies. He announced today that all net proceeds from the sale would be donated to the victims of the war in Ukraine. So, less than an hour before Chelsea played Luton in the FA Cup on Wednesday night, the club published a statement on its website from Roman Abramovich in which he announced his intention to sell the club. Amongst other things, he said the sale of the club will not be fast-tracked but will follow due process. I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid. I've instructed my team to set up a charitable foundation where all net proceeds from the sale will be donated. The foundation will be for the benefit of all of the victims of the war in Ukraine. Uh, Simon, you were at Kenilworth Road last night lest we forget there was a football match in sort Boston, of Chelsea football club <laughs> I was I was in the press box for about 30 seconds and then um I was then requested to write a piece and uh so I ended up in the Luton press room for the entire game which was um it was so very severely it was <laughs> Oh, it, it looks like the worst kind of, uh, cheapest kind of easy jet lounge. There was a bit of orange paint and it was very small. But the catering lady was very nice. It was her birthday and she was very excited to meet Jonathan Pierce. <laughs> All right, this is not how I expected this podcast to start. Um, but, but there we are. Uh, you, mu you, you obviously spoke to some of your colleagues. You must have got the, the gauge of the mood from some of the Chelsea supporters as well. Was, was it just a, a kind of state of shock or, or had this been expected? Yes. Well, starting with the journalists, there was kind of that sort of look of, oh, what the? <laughs> like, yeah, gone, gone to cover this game, and basically the game was was just the backdrop to the to the sort of the madness of much bigger events. Um, Chelsea fans were obviously as they were arriving were, were hearing the news and started singing sort of Roman Abramovich sort of songs, and as the game went on, even for my 
bizarre vantage point. You could hear the Luton fans having a lot of fun. Um, you're getting sold in the morning, um, which is a nice little take on the you're getting sacked in the morning. But yeah, it was it was it was a strange occasion to be at. Not not just from my vantage point, which which provided a lot of spoilers, by the way, because I had a TV on, um, but of course <laughs> it was on slight delay compared to the live action. So. For example, Luton's opening goal, um, I was fully aware that they may have scored about 20 seconds before it flashed up on the TV set that I had in my room as I was typing away. But um, but yeah, I, I think there was the element of shock. Um, you know, Chelsea fans, it's, it's, it's a day they probably always feared would come, especially in the last week or two. Um, something they hoped wouldn't happen, but has happened. But uh, now they're going to have to sort of get used to the reality that Chelsea aren't going to be the same club that they have been for the last 19 years. Uh, Adam, you've been tracking this story for The Athletic. When the first question from the leader of the opposition at uh, Prime Minister's <laughs> Questions is about the owner of your football club, you're, you're left in, in no doubt as to the severity of the, the situation. Was that the deciding factor here in, in Abramovich putting the statement out on Wednesday, the kind of final nail in the coffin, if you like? Um, we don't know um, because... He doesn't take questions. Chelsea's directors don't take questions. You know, we, as journalists, you speak to press officers and you get a bit of a sense, but don't think there's been a huge amount of clarity over the last week or so. On Saturday night, we're being told Roman Abramovich wants to keep the club. Um, so, you know, a lot's changed in the space of four days. I think what we do know is, you know, the week before, what was it, last week, you had MPs standing up in Parliament and naming Abramovich. You obviously have the invasion um, that, that came first from, from the Russians into Ukraine. Saturday night, he drops a statement on the club's website, says he's going to hand over the stewardship and care to the trustees of the Chelsea Foundation. By Sunday, I think they'd made pretty clear they had huge reservations about this idea that they'd only found out about you know a matter of hours before Abramovich's statement dropped. And then I think events took over, really. Uh, events which were out of... Abramovich's hands in the sense of this war is escalating every single day. The world is witnessing bombings, children dying on the front of newspapers. And on Monday, you know, Boris Johnson, was it Monday or Tuesday? Boris Johnson goes to um, Latvia, um, takes a question from a Ukrainian journalist who's almost in tears asking the question, who again names Roman Abramovich. And then the leader of the opposition at Prime Minister's Questions is naming Roman Abramovich. So you know what you know we still don't know do we you know the full extent of whatever the relationship is between Roman Abramovich and Vladimir Putin his people have always insisted that he's just a successful Russian businessman and we have to say that um but clearly there was a growing sense of momentum and i think if you would have had a situation by the end of the week where chelsea was being sold and abramovich was being seen to cash out for 2 billion pounds as you know, the opposition is calling for sanctions in Parliament, then on Boris Johnson, on the British government, that would have looked like they've given him time to get out of it before any sanctions possibly come in. So you had politics almost overtaking events and, and it left Abramovich in really what is a pretty desperate situation, which is I'm going to sell to, you know, it looks, you know, it says it's going to be a process, but I think it's going to be the first first and best bidder by the looks of it. Um, it's going to be fast. And he's having, you know, and he's in a position where he's either having or is choosing to donate the net proceeds to um, victims of the Ukraine war, though he's not specified which side of that uh, the money will be going to. And that that bit about the any net profit, I mean, if there is to be any get going to this this charitable foundation he's setting up, is that a, a ploy to try and stop the British government putting sanctions on him? Is that a kind of look? I'm doing something good with this. I know these are these are difficult questions for football journalists to answer, but it, I, I'm I'm struggling to find another reason as to why he would do that. Kind of out of the goodness of his own heart, it seems unlikely. Well, I mean, we have to say, on Mon I think it was Monday, story emerged from his spokespeople that he'd been contacted by some Ukrainians to try and broker peace, um, which seemed very odd on the face of it, given that, you know, we've been told for all this time that he's a man without political connections, um, but was now going to be in Belarus attempting to aid peace between Ukraine and Russia. Then... then 
that you know what was also interesting was both of the both Abramovich's statement on Saturday night, Chelsea's statement on on Sunday made no mention of a Russian invasion. It was all about a conflict in Ukraine, a situation. Even his statement um, where he talks about the charitable foundation being set up doesn't actually describe a Russian invasion. So he's being very careful with his words. I think it's a little. I think we need more clarity to be honest about this foundation. Who's going to be running this foundation? Why can't the money just be donated to something, you know, like the International Red Cross that, you know, already is doing essential work in Ukraine? Why does Abramovich need to set up his own foundation in order to do this? Who will be in control of where that money goes to? Will it? Will some of it be going to Russia, some of it going to Ukraine? We don't know. These are all questions that need to be answered. In terms of the goodness of, of his heart, the, the, one, the one thing that, that someone said to me yesterday was, you know, ne- never underestimate how Jewish Roman Abramovich feels. Um, and, you know, we know he's been a very active campaigner um, against anti-Semitism for a long time. And, you know, there's been a few things over the last few days that people have flagged, whether it's the fact Ukrainian has a Jewish prime minister, whether it's the fact that, you know, the Russians have bombed a Holocaust memorial site, um, albeit accidentally, um, in Ukraine over the last few days, and you've also had Putin talking ridiculously about denazification of Ukraine. And there are some people close to Abramovich who have suggested to me that that might have been something that pricked his conscience. That, you know, the fact he is, he's been an Israeli citizen, the fact that, you know, I mean, as someone who's Jew- Jewish myself, I've sort of sat around enough dinner tables with mid-50s men um, on, a fr- on a Friday night to know how strong that identity can feel at times. Um, for people of that generation. Now, on the other hand, on Saturday night, there was also a prime minister of Ukraine that was Jewish, and Putin was already talking about denazifying Ukraine, and he was, and Abramovich hadn't set up a foundation by that point to, to be helping out Ukrainian victims. So it's just a thought. It's a thought that I'd had, um, but it, it's one that I think, you know, as you take the broader sense of him clearly having a fear of sanctions, I think it's something that will maybe be considered. Uh, Dom, you, you've been covering the club for pretty much the entirety of the Abramovich era, right? On and off, certainly, you know, there, there from the start. What was your reaction when you heard the news? And, and was this kind of the way that you thought it would end? Well, I don't think anyone thought it would end with uh, basically in a war um, and as a result of a, a war breaking out in in Eastern Europe. Um, was I shocked? I think I might reserve my shock for when the actual deal goes through and he is actually no longer the owner of Chelsea Football Club. Um, I don't think we... I mean, look, at, again, we're, we don't know what's what's going to happen in the in the days and, and weeks ahead. Um, there's clearly an urgency there at the moment, as Adam says, because of the fear of sanctions and how paralysing that would be for all his assets in the UK, how difficult that would make a sale for Chelsea... The potential ramifications for Chelsea are significant if um, sanctions are imposed on on their owner. Um, so that has presumably what's driven this sort of public admission that that uh, the club is up for sale. But that said, he still needs to find a buyer who will offer him a price that he deems to be acceptable. I think a lot has changed in in a very short period of time. You go back a few years and he was rejecting bids of around 2.2 billion I think for for Chelsea Football Club. Um the general tone of the coverage earlier this week was that he would accept 3 billion. So the price has apparently gone up despite the fact that he's he's living in with the threat of sanctions hanging over him. Um in a post-pandemic world with a war raging in Eastern Europe, I, I, forgive me if I think that might be wishful thinking. I mean, I, look, he, he knows more <laughs> about the sale and purchase of football clubs than I do, but but that, that seems a bit optimistic to think that the price might have gone up. Um, so I will. I at the moment, I, I part of me wonders whether we're just whether. Yes, we're all sort of, wow, Romanovich is willing to sell the club. Well, he's been willing to sell the club for a while, I think. I suspect that's always been, in the last few years, I think that's been a factor probably since the, the moment that he had his, uh, where well, he withdrew his application for a UK visa, having been made aware that he wasn't going to get one. Um, 
so I might reserve that shot for when actually things happen, when actually you know a new owner is in place and who has passed the fit and proper persons act or whatever it's called now at the Premier League and uh, Chelsea Football Club has a better idea as to what comes next. Uh, part of me wonders whether actually, look, part of me actually wonders whether in a year's time Roman Abramovich is still in charge, but there you go. We'll see what happens. Uh, Liam, do you share Dom's uh, scepticism that it might be a quick sale or do you think we will be looking at this Friday deadline for, for bids to come in and, and this time next week we'll be talking about a new owner? I'm not sure. I think the key question at this point is whether you know Abramovich gets to sell Chelsea before any action from the British government might happen because we are seeing that the the political will and as Adam said, you know, the kind of momentum has been growing for the last week or two. Uh, and uh, Labour in particular seem to have made this, you know, near the top of their agenda to pressure the Conservative government to to add Roman Abramovich to the list of sanctioned individuals. So that to me is a, is a key factor in all of this because if sanctions get taken, all bets are off with this process. Um, whether, it's, whether it's kind of fast or slow though, uh, I think... The thing that might concern Chelsea fans is that, you know, looking at Abramovich as a kind of custodian of the club, as he's presented himself in his recent statements, he doesn't really have the leverage to be fussy at this point about who he sells to. And, you know, I I think that would concern Chelsea fans because, you know, this is not necessarily the, the process that you would choose if you were trying to find the ideal next owner for Chelsea Football Club. But of course... It's being conditioned by events far bigger than than anything we're talking about here. Uh, one more for you, Adam, before we let you go, and then we'll we'll go more onto the Chelsea uh, Chelsea angle. So the the Swiss billionaire Hans Jörg Weiss claimed on Wednesday he'd been offered the chance to buy it. Is he the front runner? I, I'm always slightly sceptical when when somebody wants to buy a football club and they talk about it in the media. Yeah, so someone once told me deals that leak sink. Um, so <laughs> the ones that you know that become public. Um, very rarely happened. The big exception to that was um, Amanda Staveley in Newcastle, which um, leaked repeatedly for about three years. Um, but but um, yeah, I think Ch- Chelsea's interesting. Clearly, clearly what's happened over the last few days is there has been a process, or maybe even the last few weeks, with Rain, the investment bank in the US, that, that they've been sort of put in charge of trying to sell this club. And a, and a lot of rich people have received you know, basically, do you want to buy Chelsea? And will you get your offers in by Friday? Um, seems to be the gist of it. And so you're getting Hans-Jörg Weiss, um, who I think is like an 86-year-old billionaire. Why on earth he'd want to buy a football club? Um, <laughs> fair enough. Um, at the age of 86, who knows? But anyway, I think, the, I mean, the other reason he might go public is he's got a bit of money, clearly quite a lot of money, but might need a bit of help might want a bit of help, might want a partner, might want to, you know, to show, you know, this apparently is a guy that doesn't really do interviews. So you have to sit there and wonder why, why is he saying what he's saying now? And is it because he's trying to attract a, a partner? Um, there's the guy, the LA Dodgers owner, Todd Bully, um, who's been, the suggestion is that he might go into a partnership with him in some way. But it also, it wouldn't really surprise me if you, if the person who ends up owning the club is someone we've not yet heard of. Um, because that's sometimes the way that deals happen. But equally, sounds like I'm fudging it here. It might just be that this is a week where so much becomes public so quickly because because of the process. I, th- I think the really interesting thing is, you know, as Liam says, you know, the threat of sanctions is still there. The key thing to say is that Britain, the EU, America, none of them are sanctioned Abramovich. You know, <laughs> this is a man that's that's not being sanctioned. Um, there may not be sanctions, but if there are, you're going to get into very dicey territory in terms of particularly, I think, investment from the states. You know, are US banks going to do that? Are US consultancies going to assist that? Um, are US law firms going to get involved? It could be the same questions in Britain and the EU if those sanctions come in. Um, so I don't think Chelsea are out of the woods um, in that respect. I think what they have done is from a PR point of view, the first attempt was, can we move the control of the club into the hands of a charity to make it look like Chelsea's a charity, therefore you can't freeze the club over the weekend. And then what you've got now is 
well, if you stop this from going through, then potentially hundreds of millions of pounds won't get to Ukraine, despite governments all over the world giving billions of pounds to Ukraine at the moment to, to help them. But th I think that is the play that's been made by Chelsea. And it'll be really interesting to see the way that the British government deal with that. Because I think also the government won't want to be seen to be killing a community asset at the same time, as much as, as it is Abramovich's business at the moment in time, and he's the custodian at this moment in time, this is still a, fo a football club with a, with a very proud history and a big community that does a lot of work in its community. And the government's trying to balance those things. And the final point is, there is, there is this view, if you speak to pe people in parliament at the moment, that the British government might not want to completely cut all ties with rich Russians at this moment in time because they might need half a foot in the tent with these people as they try and rein um, the Russian president in over the next few weeks and months. You know, even if that comes down to will he escalate to the point of chemical weapons and, and ridiculous things like that, as, as, as mad as this sounds, these people might you know, who are really rich, who stand to lose quite a lot, might become quite significant voices. That's not to say they have historical political influence, but it might be these are relationships that the British government needs to cultivate in some way as a way of maintaining a sense of control over, over Putin. Other people think that that's just an impossibility at this point. And you should just sanction them and get them booted out and seize the yachts, seize the houses and everything. So look, I mean, it's going to be this, this is really just the start of a process and um, we'll be talking about this a lot more over the next few weeks. Probably not with me, but um, <laughs> amongst you. <laughs> you wish. I'm afraid you're likely to be back on a fair bit over the next few weeks and months. That'll do for today, though. Many thanks for joining us, Adam. No problem. See you soon, guys. I, I think uh, before we get on to sort of what a tremendous centre-back Ruben Loftus-Cheek might turn out to be, um, can, can we just sort of like flag the fact that the timing of Abramovich's statements also reveals a lot about, I think, the sort of the nature of the situation. You know, both statements, first of all, the trustees one, and then, of course, the announcement that he's selling the club, come before rather significant cup ties. The first one, obviously, the eve, the night before um, the League Cup final, and then the fact that he's selling comes with an hour of kick-off against Luton. You can't tell me that he's doing that out of the best interest of Chelsea Football Club and the players. He's doing it in the best interest for himself, in my opinion, because there can be no sort of greater destabilising effect than basically putting it out there that the, the club's in sort of precarious times and then the players then have to go out and try and play a game of football. I think it was to their credit that they performed as well as they did at Wembley against Liverpool under under those circumstances. And it was no surprise to me at all that, that Chelsea looked so sluggish. Sure, we'll get onto the game at some point. Um, that Chelsea looked so sluggish, almost shell-shocked um, when they kicked off against Luton and fell behind earlier. I just think for those players to play under those circumstances, these guys are human. You know, they'll be worried about, obviously, not just what's going on in the world and, and in Ukraine, but they will be worried about what this might mean for their future. You know, and question marks over, does this mean potentially with, with sanctions and stuff, will, will, will my pay be affected? All these things will be rambling around in their heads. Um, so all this kind of like praise for Abramovich and, and the statement he made, I sort of thought, well... He's not really thinking about the club at this stage, in my opinion. He's thinking about, basically, how can I resolve this situation as best for me? Yeah, and, and obviously, Liam, we're all keenly aware of the fact that, that what's happening in Ukraine with the invasion uh, by Russia is far and above any kind of importance to a football club. But, you know, we, we are... a podcast about Chelsea Football Club so that's what we're talking about and, and the, the cause and effect on on them how should Chelsea supporters be feeling do you think I mean it's such a massive mixture of emotions at the moment I'm sure Simon says people were, were chanting Roman Abramovich's name last night is, is there a kind of fear amongst the supporter base is there a, I don't know a, a bit of embarrassment at the at the way that they've lauded Abramovich in the past or, or are people still staunchly backing him is it is it a bit of everything I think as ever with a fan base, you're not going to get one opinion. Um, 
and I'll certainly never tell fans how to feel, but I, I think it's I think it's okay to feel conflicted about the Abramovich era to some degree, because you know if you're just looking at it from the perspective of a football club owner, he's been pretty much the ideal in terms of what British football has kind of lionised about, you know, sugar daddy owners, particularly in the Premier League era. He's been the the archetype for that, someone who's willing to put good money after bad <laughs> in um, transfers that don't work, managers that don't work, but just keep spending, keep spending, not accepting second best. Um, and Chelsea's trophy record in these 19 years is testament to that. He's given you know, generations of Chelsea fans, the ride of their lives on the pitch. Um, and, you know, I think it's, I think it's okay to feel conflicted about, about that because the huge cloud under which he's departing now is a cloud that's always been there. There have always been questions about the source of Abramovich's wealth, his motivations for owning Chelsea. Um, and he's always had his own denials of, uh, you know, of the allegations made against him. But the, it's always been there. The thing that's changed recently is the external circumstances and the, and the political will in Britain um, as a result. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how fans should feel about it. I think it's, I think it's okay to, uh, to still be sort of wrestling with that and, um, and trying to reconcile things in your head. As we look to wrap this up then, Dom, from a purely, you know, club standpoint, everything's up for grabs now, isn't it? If there is a changeover fairly quickly, you wouldn't expect Marina Granovskaya and Bruce Buck to still be there. Um, things as trivial as they sound now, things like Tony Rudiger's contract, what happens to Cesar Azpilicueta, all these things that, you know, that, that were being worked to by one set of people are all up in the air now and, and nothing certain for the foreseeable future. Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and you know, on the day-to-day running of... The football club, as and as you say, as trivial as it seems, if Marina Granovskaya leaves, if even Petr Cech leaves, then actually that's that will affect people who are employed at Chelsea Football Club more than anything else, really. Um, I mean, if if this deal does go through quickly, and I know I've I've already been cynical on that front in this podcast, but you know there is a chance that it it might say it gets done in the next few weeks. Um, the only person, who, people who can come in and, and buy Chelsea Football Club are going to have vast, vast, vast wealth. I mean, they, that's the only way they take on this challenge. This, is, this isn't a, a profit-making football club. It's a club that's relied on Roman Abramovich's loans through Fordstone, um over the last 19 years to function and flourish. £1.5 billion. So... You know, that in itself is quite interesting in terms of the profile of person that, that, that comes in. I mean, and it's a bit it's a bit stereotypical, maybe a bit of a generalisation, but but you look at American investors, they tend to want to return on their investment. Are they likely to come in for a club that makes a loss every year? I don't know. It doesn't doesn't necessarily seem likely to me. Um but look, whoever comes in, if if a sale is completed, it's it's safe to conclude that that person who owns Chelsea Football Club has got considerable wealth behind him or her. So the structure, it's then about the structure around the club that's still in place to make it function on a daily basis. And if you rip away Marina and all the work that she's done and and and, and you, you actually change that infrastructure, yes, that will affect people. That will affect the 800 employees of Chelsea Football Club. It's... Um, and it, and the mundane matters like contract offers to players, yeah, it you know it's it suddenly all those things are up in the air. But I don't know. It's it's almost like you, you need to take a step back sometimes and just try and get a sense of perspective here. Not not only are we, not only is there a war raging in Ukraine, but but um, I mean Chelsea Football Club, I'm sure will be fine. It, it'll just be it'll just be a different football club. There are older Chelsea supporters who remember what life was like very much before Roman Abramovich, and there are younger fans out there who are who are just used to the majority of their majority of their lives with Roman Abramovich as the owner of their football club but you know Chelsea football club's always been there and it's always sort of survived the various trials and tribulations um, that it's endured over the years and the last 19 years have been 
of you know largely glittering success. Maybe the next 19 will be very different. We'll see. The one sort of reassuring pillar of certainty amid all of this is that we know Kai Havertz is going nowhere for now. <laughs> well, you say that, but does anyone know? I mean, on, on a serious note, and the sanctions thing, and I know, I know we, we don't know whether Roman Abramovich is going to be sanctioned. Um, and it may be that 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 he sells the club before any moves are made on it. It's all up in the air. But that, that, the, 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 the sort of money that's owed to other football clubs... There, there, there might be a chunk that's still owed to Bayer Leverkusen, possibly, on Kai Havertz. Possibly. How would Bayer Leverkusen get that money if Chelsea's assets are frozen and Roman Abramovich is, is still in charge? I mean, I, I, these are the great unknowns. I mean, it's, it sounds ridiculous and it sounds mundane. But how how do they pay <laughs> What's the, the stewards? How do they get a safety <laughs> certificate? How do they pay for police to police games? How do they even stage a football match if their assets are frozen? It's It's... All these things. I mean, the Premier League must just be hoping and praying that all that this 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 issue goes away quickly and that the takeover happens before any sanctions come in, because it's a can of worms is about to be opened potentially. I'm just glad, Dom, that you um, embarked on that answer and put down the cricket bat that you picked up. When <laughs> <Kai> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, "How do club commentators get paid?" But I'm sure that's fine. Um, Simon, before we um, <laughs> before we move on from this. A word on Thomas Tuchel, who has been placed in the most difficult position, probably of any football coach in recent memory. Uh, he stood up to it impressively, I think. Now, some people will say, well, if you if you go to work for somebody like Roman Abramovich, and you know the background, then, then this is what you sign up for. Uh, but for him to have dealt in, in the pre-match press conference for the Luton game and actually the way he spoke after... That is a massive asset that Chelsea Football Club have at the moment. You know, we mentioned on Monday what on earth would be going on if Jose Mourinho was in charge at the moment. The, the stability that Tuchel's brought to this situation is, has been invaluable. Yeah, um, if if possible, he's probably endeared himself to the fan base even more with with, with the way he's handled it. And and uh, as I said on on Monday, I think I think the performance from the players is is probably testament to. To his management, if nothing else, because because he has been able to steer the ship um, on the playing side through these very difficult trying times. You can imagine the kind of chats he's been having with his players, who, who've been looking to him to, for for leadership for answers. Um, and his his presence at the club. I mean, you have to sort of bit of a question mark over Thomas Tuchel, you know, like what what was he thinking about this situation? Chelsea may no longer be the club that he signed up for. You know, he's thinking, oh, you know, I've got this wealthy benefactor who's willing to take on these huge costs for, for big name players and, and who knows what the next owner will be. Will Chelsea be that club that can win and compete for Champions Leagues and Premier League titles? Thomas Tuchel is a very ambitious manager. He's proven he's one of the best in the game. So Chelsea, whoever the next owner is, one of the first tasks will be is to uh, to make sure Thomas Tuchel is there for the long long term. Even though, of course, he signed that contract to that effect, but as we know, contracts don't mean much in football. Yep, ditto Emma Hayes, uh, I would say. Right, yep. should we talk about some football next? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. That's into Werner. Across to Lukaku, and he gets his goal! That's what he's waited for, and Chelsea for the first time in the Knights are ahead. 12 minutes to go, Luton 2, Chelsea 3. And the world and European champions have found a way to get in front. Well, it's easy to forget what the FC in Chelsea FC stands for these days, but Chelsea did indeed play a football match on Wednesday night, specifically the FA Cup fifth round tie away to championship side Luton Town. Chelsea eventually triumphing 3-2, as Simon was sort of there. Uh, I didn't see this match because I was working on another one. No, uh, no. I note the goal scorers were Saul, Werner and Lukaku. Uh, Liam, in this week of all weeks, that feels about right. 
Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it, it, it was uh, an interesting game. A game I missed the start of partly because FA Cup kickoff times are absolutely bonkers, <laughs> and my head was just completely not in um, Chelsea football matters. But it, am I the only person know, who actually watched this game of football? <laughs> I watched it. I watched it. I Look, just this has got to be first. a first. This is genuinely a first. <laughs> I missed the first Luton goal. Um, I saw all the Chelsea goals, and I, in particular, I saw. Ruben Lieberoftus cheek um, <laughs> in the middle of the back three, strutting his stuff and and carving open the Luton defence with a with that pass for for Timo Werner. It was a it's a nice goal for Werner. Um, you get the feeling it you know it was nice because he didn't have to think too much about it, uh, and and he certainly seemed to gain confidence from it and set up a goal for Lukaku that was excellent. Chelsea got a lot better as the game went on. Um, and that that Saul goal, you know, sort of steadied the ship a little bit, I think, for them. Um, but it was just a, a kind of get through it game, wasn't it? With so much going on off the pitch, Tuchel picked a kind of strange team befitting of the times, and uh, and they just had to try and find a way to handle it. And Loftus Cheek spoke afterwards of, you know, he, his personal shock uh, at the Abramovich news about an hour before kickoff because, of course, he's grown up in. Abramovich era Chelsea. There's, there are the old pictures of you know him and a couple of the other academy boys as kids with Abramovich at, at Cobham, and so he provided quite a useful insight, I thought, into the mindset of some of the players ahead of kickoff. But they managed to they managed to shake it off, and in the circumstances, I think it was quite a good win against the team that's doing very well in the Championship. What do you think, Don? Were they just about worth it in the end? Oh, look, in the end, they were definitely. I mean, they they were. By far the way the better team. They, they, their second half performance was was dominant. They they were they were unsettled by the the ferocity of Luton's start and and conceding from a set play so early on was was a, a bit of a blow. Um, it took them a while to sort of adjust to that and and then having sort of gained a foothold in the in the match and, and drawn level, they, they they conceded a poor second goal and and look. <laughs> There was there were certain performances in the Chelsea lineup that that you looked at and thought well, that's 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 not great. I mean, uh, it was a sort of a regression from from Malang Sarr generally over the course of the evening. He he really seemed to struggle in that sort of left centre half. In fact, Loftus Cheek was far more in control as a as a centre back than Malang Sarr was, which is fairly damning. But then they imposed themselves, and the second half they they were they were much much better, and and Mason Mount started making inroads on the left. Ruben dictated the play more from the back, and then moved into midfield and was excellent as well. I mean, it, it's it's a strange one. Luton are a, a, a team on the up; they're doing brilliantly brilliantly well in the Championship, uh, a club that was in non-league what eight years ago. It's absolutely astonishing re rise towards the, the the top of the English game. But you still thought that 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 Chelsea with the even with the selection they did, they they had a, they were always going to have enough quality to impose themselves. It was just whether they were in the right headspace to do it, and not not least after Sunday's disappointment. But but when they they did enough. It just it was it was a weird thing. I mean, in some ways, Simon being there but not there is actually sums it up not quite nicely because I don't think anybody, even the supporters at the ground, probably weren't really watching a game of football and 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 being in. On that game of football, emotionally into that game of football because they had other things on their mind, and um, they got through. They got through, and that's all that really matters. Anything else you took away from the game, Simon, in particular? Any anybody you think did well? Half hour cameo for Harvey Vale won't do him any harm. I was just devastated that you know my my plans to do Kennedy's revival. <laughs> <laughs> I did pitch it to the desk. I went peace on Kennedy. You know, what do you mean no? <laughs> Of course, of course, the man that is that is probably single-handedly ruled out any chance of a Chinese owner uh, coming in um, for obvious reasons. But um, I, I just, I, I, I think I may have said it earlier. I can't remember, but I did tweet. Oh, CFC um, has shown a lot of character tonight, and I got a bit of stick for it. It's just like, oh, it's only Luton Town, blah blah blah. But I do sort of think, you know, look, a few days after. The, the devastating loss to Liverpool in the League Cup final, playing 120 minutes, uh, much changed team, difficult ground. It's cup football. We we saw the night before how Spurs handled it at Middlesbrough. 
you know, I, I just think sometimes you even even in a game they should win, they should get credit for winning, particularly falling behind twice. Like Liam, I was impressed with 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 Loftus Cheek, and I think it was it was good to see two players under a lot of criticism in Timo Werner and Lukaku getting on the score sheet and actually combining for the third goal. I, I just think uh, it it was a, a momentum. It sort of just just keeps that momentum ticking over because you can imagine sort of the feelings going into Burnley if they'd been knocked out of two cup, you know, losing two cup games in the space of a week. Because despite the distractions off the pitch, Chelsea have to keep things going on it. Um, they can't afford to be distracted negatively, um, both in the league and in the competitions they're they're trying to win. Liam, let's get a word from you on this game at Turf Moor against Burnley on Saturday then. Burnley beaten by Leicester at home on Tuesday. Very much not a difficult place to go unless you Spurs. But again, the uh, the events of this week might play a part here. I guess Sean Dyche will be trying to use that to his advantage at least. Yeah, I'm sure Burnley will um, will set up to try to take advantage of any kind of lack of rhythm or lack of focus that Chelsea might have in the circumstances I don't really see why it would be more difficult mentally for Chelsea, you know, by this weekend. They would have had a few more days to process everything, unless there's another statement from Abramovich an hour before kickoff, <laughs> um, which obviously we can't totally rule out. But with things as they stand, I think they should be in a better place mentally. They should be in a better place physically as well, because that cup final against Liverpool took a lot out of them. It was a, a really intense 120 minute battle. And I think that played a part against Luton, but they'll have had a bit of time to get themselves right. Um, and maybe a couple of the injured players could be available again as well. So, yeah, you're right. Burnley don't actually have a good home record, um, which I think more and more people are waking up to. They're having a very difficult season. As long as Chelsea can can keep shackles on the on the Tyrannosaurus Rex that they signed in January, about Veghorst, I'm not sure Burnley have a ton else to worry them. Well, it's a three o'clock kickoff in Lancashire. We'll react to the game on Monday. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. And now then, Chelsea take on Manchester City in the Conti Cup final on Saturday. AFC Wimbledon's plough lane. The Blues have won the women's version of the League Cup in each of the last two seasons. Penilla Hart has been a key figure in this latest run to the final and she spoke to Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper of the Athletics Women's Football Podcast ahead of Saturday's showpiece. Penilla, thanks for joining us. You're creating so well up front at the moment for Chelsea with goals and assists, you know, showcased again at the weekend in the FA Cup. Tell us... What's clicking? What's working for you at the moment? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel good. I feel in good shape. I I feel I can do all the runs I have to do and I'm on the right spot then. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just feel uh, in a good flow. Um, yeah, and then often then the, the things are working. This final at the weekend feel quite special to you, this League Cup, because you've had a big say in Chelsea getting there. We saw hat-trick in the quarterfinals, goal in the semis as well. Is it one of those? And do you have competitions that that feel a bit more personal? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, it has been, uh, I've been contributing good with goals in this tournament. Um, but yeah, it's not always about goals. Uh, but yeah, obviously I'm, I'm happy that I've been able to help the team to, to get to the final. But yeah, again, we, we are 11 players on the pitch. I, I do the finishing, but a lot of a lot of the other players do a lot of work before that. 
And Penilla, tell us what the atmosphere is like amongst the team at the moment. A lot of players have come back from international duty. Obviously, you're through to the next round in the FA Cup. You've got this final. You've got your eyes on the WSL title still as well. What's really important when it comes to your team and how you're feeling and, and, and actually how you handle so much going on at this point in the season? Yeah, I think it's important we just keep the focus on one thing at the time. Um, and the good thing with this squad is that it's big. So we have a lot of good players and we even though we have a lot of games, we have we have players enough to 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 rotate, to to be able to be fresh to all the games. And I think that's really important to be able to yeah, hopefully get the title in each tournament we are in at the moment. Do you feel like this is a challenge between two opponents with Manchester City and Chelsea that right now are in the form of their their season? Yeah, I think yeah, City is also in a really good form, and yeah, we we haven't lost yet in 2022. Uh, we feel really good, so yeah, I agree that it's two teams with in a really good form. So yeah, I guess the the game on Saturday will be will be really good. What about key areas for you as a team as you've been working on? Which areas do you need to dominate in order to stay on top of this game? Yeah, we have to stay good and compact in defense. We know they have some good individuals up front. They they play a good structured uh, game of football as a team. Uh, so we have to be stand good in defense, but also we need to be able to also keep the ball, have good possession, and um, yeah, then create the chances we do. Do you view this trophy as a springboard to others? Does does it help when you've when you've got a bit of silverware already for you to then go on and get more? It's always good to get the first title in the season. Then you. Then you have one com- completed, uh, if you can say it like this. But um, but yeah, of course, it will give us a lot of good confidence uh, to win a title already on Saturday uh, to go into the competition in the yeah in the league and the FA Cup. You can hear the Athletics Women's Football Podcast every Monday. Meanwhile, in the FA Cup, the Blues were paired with the other Blues, aka Birmingham City, when the draw for the quarterfinals of the FA Cup was made on Monday. That tie takes place the weekend of the nineteenth, twentieth of March. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-23s game at Everton on Monday was postponed hours before kickoff because of a waterlogged pitch. That's the second game in a row for Andy Meyer's team, which has fallen foul of the weather. They're not due to play again until Friday of next week. The under-18s have a league game at West Brom on Saturday. Uh, we're not going to subject anybody to a quiz this week because all our brains are hurting. Before we go, though, in terms of plugs for pieces, Simon, I'm guessing... It's changing by the hour for you at the moment. You'll just be writing about whatever happens next. No, it's that piece about Kennedy that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's only one story in town, so you can imagine we're, we're all uh, beavering away to uh, to cover it the best way we can. Liam, how are you finding covering a story like this? I, I imagine it's it's unlike anything you've ever worked on before. Well, I think covering Chelsea, you get plenty of opportunities to uh, to spread your journalistic wings beyond football. You know, covered employment tribunals, <laughs> uh, criminal procedures, um, all sorts of things. So, yeah, it, but even by those standards, this has kind of sent my head spinning for several days. Just because more than any other story I've ever covered, it's impossible to know where it's going next. You know, we're... Will, will Abramovich turn up at the Ukrainian border? Who, you know, who knows? Who knows? There could be absolutely anything happen from here. So um, we just have to kind of work as best we can and, and try to report things as they happen as accurately as possible. I've always said that, that there's, 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 no, there's no other box that Chelsea can tick. They, they, they've, they've done it all. And every time they, they come up with something new, you know, we've we've had air rifles. We've had, <laughs> we've, we've had. You just you just think there's what nothing like else. Before Abramovich, Do you, I mean, <laughs> a genuine question. I mean, I, I know that the profile was was raised when they, you know, they were taken over by one of the richest men on the planet, and who started splurging cash left, right, and centre to reinvent the football club. But I mean, I, I imagine the Ken Bates regime must have been fairly wacky. Well, electric fences, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the fan base were interesting at that point. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, quite a few. Uh, the, the East Stand, the delightful East Stand, uh, almost bankrupted the club. Um, 
Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of anecdotes, but I must admit, I didn't. I didn't think war would ever sort of <laughs> would ever be in the club's uh, book of <laughs> book of stories, anecdotes. But um, but yeah, that's another one off the list. Uh, Dom, you're not just Chelsea focused. What are you working on at the moment? Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I've um yeah, the, 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 there's a there's an attempt to explain the potential ramifications of sanctions and maybe it might explain why the, the sudden urgency to sell that, that goes out um some point later this week um uh, yeah we're obviously looking at everything that's going on in terms of the ownership etc and the week that Chelsea have had and um and the boys the boys did the uh, the old fixture list for the uh, for the month ahead and they decided that uh, they needed a volunteer for Burnley versus Chelsea so yeah, I'll see yeah. you there. That, that's one good thing. We can um, we can have a cup of tea in the press room. Lovely. So that's why you've got the cricket bat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have I got to come tooled up to Turf Moor? Either that or Dom's been called up for England to, for, for the West Indies tour. God, do you remember that side? There's like a like a the whole world of sport out there that we can. <laughs> <laughs> Right, theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod is a place to go to sign up. If you don't currently subscribe, you really need to uh, to get the very latest on the Abramovich situation. OK, we'll be back on Monday. We'll try and talk mainly about football then, if we can. Uh, until then, many thanks to producer Lucy, to Adam for joining us earlier, to Dom, to Liam and to Simon and to you for listening. We'll speak to you on Monday. Bye for now. <laughs>As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.